Real quick, the only ask I could ever have of you guys is to help spread the word so we can help more women lose body fat, build muscle, reach their goals, and feel insanely confident. And the only way we can do that is if you rate, review, and share this podcast. So the single thing I ask for you to do is if you could leave a review, it will take you 10 seconds and it will mean the absolute world to me and may change the world of someone else. The whole point of fitness is to just keep playing the game. The only way that you lose is if you quit. And the only reason you quit is because your expectations are on a certain timeline that doesn't exist. There is no finish line. It's never over. So like, you don't have to stress, it's fine. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Macro Hour. Or if you guys are new, welcome to the show. We have a very special guest here with us, a local PA native. Let's go. And uh, a high-level nutrition coach has been at this for 10 years. He has a gift for understanding the psychological and the physiological needs of his clients. And this has, with that gift, has led to thousands of success stories. He's also the force behind the Mind Over Macros podcast. Mike is here to share his expertise on how to tailor, having a tailored approach to diet and mindset and fitness and how we can just revolutionize our health and, and, and fitness journey. So Mike, it's great to have you here with us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Cool. Well, let, let's kick things off. I just want to know, I want to know personally a little bit about your story, your journey that led you to be, and the listeners want to know too, um, what led you to become so passionate about nutrition? What led you to come, become so passionate about the mindset in, in the fitness world? Yeah, I think uh, like most of us in this industry, it kind of comes back to our own personal journeys. And I never in a million years would have predicted that I'd be doing what I do today. Uh, and it was I grew up an athlete. I played sports my whole life. And I always kind of considered myself the lucky one in my family because I, I noticed from a young age, like my mom was always on a diet. I have two older sisters. They were always concerned about their weight. And I think, you know, there's just a lot of pressure on women. I, I, I saw that happening from a very young age, but I was like, hey, I play sports. I've got the fast metabolism. I can eat whatever I want. So I'm I'm good. And I'm never going to struggle with my weight until uh, I went I went to college still played sports. And then once I didn't have organized sports anymore, I was still eating and drinking like a typical college kid. And I gained probably about 80 pounds in like a year and did not recognize myself. I woke up one morning, I was in Maryland where I went to school and I stayed after I graduated, I stayed an extra year because I was dating somebody who then became my wife, who's now my ex-wife. Anyway, we were at, at school together and I woke up one morning, I went into the bathroom and I was like, oh my God, I don't even recognize myself. Like, who is this person? And I had, you know, it was just heavy drinking, a lot of, you know, fast food and uh, not really, I didn't have, I wasn't playing organized sports anymore. So I wasn't as active, even though I was working and I was bartending. So I was on my feet, but outside of that, I was just parting it up and doing what typical college kids do. And it was that moment where I knew I needed to make a change, but the thing that I've reflected back on, it was really like an identity shattering moment for me because I did identify so deeply as an athlete. So there was this internal dialogue in my head of, I can't see people that I you know went to high school with because I know that they're going to be like, what happened to you? How'd you let yourself go? Um, how did this happen? Like all these questions would pop up and I didn't feel confident going like playing basketball or stepping on a tennis court or doing anything that I used to do 
So my solution was, let me, let me get this weight off as fast as I can to get back to being me. And that led me down a path of doing hours of cardio, trying to starve myself. I didn't know anything. Like I was the most susceptible person to like bold claims in the fitness industry. If anybody was like, Hey, you could lose a hundred pounds in two weeks. I'm like, yes, sign me up. That's my program. I need that right now. Uh, so literally like infomercials like that. I know I'm aging myself a little bit, but like infomercials or, or things on the radio that were just as the bigger and bolder, the promise, the more all in I was. So I was doing like as a 260 pound male at the time doing like 1200 calorie meal plans and trying to eat as little as possible and doing two hours of cardio every day. I would lose a bunch of weight and I would gain it all back. And um, it took me the better part of a decade to crawl out of that hole. And I, I suffered from um, body dysmorphia. I had a horrible relationship with food, horrible relationship with my body and exercise. And ultimately it was crawling my way out of that. Um, you know, I could continue with all of like the impact that it had on my well-being, my relationships, on my marriage at the time, on my family and my dynamic there. Like everything around me was kind of crumbling because I was so obsessed with losing weight. And ultimately, when I crawled out of that dark place and figured things out for myself, that led me to want to pay it forward and help people avoid all the stuff that I had gone through. Wow. Our stories, I didn't even realize, overlap very in a very similar way. Like I was like the athlete too as well. And then had the period in between like from high school to 25 or post high school 25, it was like partying it up, trying to figure out life. And then like 25 was like, yo, you got to reel it in and get your shit together. Holy moly. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know that paints a little bit of a light as we dive into some questions that I have. Like you, like a lot of women, very similarly struggle with struggled with like, oh, I'm going to hop on this next new thing that is like the hot, like I, I like love that you shared that because I think everybody has been there. It's like, oh, this new flashy thing is going to tell me that I'm going to lose weight in X amount of time. Sign me up. Like, I love that. Um, and then you were doing like 1200 calories at that point. So, you know, what were things that shifted your mindset of realizing that, okay, this isn't the way that I need to, I how to make it more sustainable for yourself? Like this isn't working or like, it worked for a period of time, but like, it's not getting me to where I want to be in a more sustainable fashion. Like how, where was that switch there? Yeah. So unfortunately it was like one of those rock bottom moments where it was like, something has to change because this can't be my life forever. And oftentimes I would blame myself. So the pattern that a lot of people fall in that I definitely fell in was I would do the meal plan. So that was like the first thing that I ever tried I actually found a meal plan. I bought this piece of cardio equipment because again, I was like, I saw a commercial and they were like, it burns 17 times more calories than a treadmill. And I'm like, boom, that's my thing. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so I bought this piece of cardio equipment. I put it in my apartment back page of the, the little like man instruction manual. There was like a sample meal plan. That was like 1200 calorie sample meal plan. And so I just followed that. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to follow this. 1200 calorie meal plan. Cause this is, this is the cardio machine that's going to get me fit. And I lost a ton of weight, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't maintain. I would reach that tipping point where I would just eat everything in sight, but then I would blame myself. And I was like, well, it worked quote unquote worked because I lost a lot of weight. And if I had just been more disciplined, if I just had more willpower, if I could just fight through those cravings and 
the the low energy and the fatigue and all the stuff that I was experiencing. It's like if I could just stick with it, I would have been exactly where I wanted to be. And I would just like find different versions of that. I would, you know, oh, eliminating carbs, that's the way to go. I did another program where it was like, you don't eat your first meal until 2 p.m. You can only eat between two and eight. And I would have like this six hour feeding window. Um, you could only eat carbs if you worked out. Like I've done everything. I did Optavia before it was Optavia back when it was Metafast. And it was, I mean, it's still basically oh the same. Oh my thing. gosh. Yeah. So I literally did everything. And I would always beat myself up over like, why can't you just stay disciplined? Why can't you just follow through? Like the weight is coming off. And then I would just gain it back and I would sit there and like, I consider myself a pretty disciplined person. So it was like hard to, to grapple with that internal struggle. Like I know that I can commit to things when I say I'm going to do something, I follow through, but like, why is this so difficult? And then I uh, was like sitting in my house one day, I had moved back to outside of Philly where I'm from. And um, again, I was then got married, was like trying to figure things out still, still going through this like diet struggle. And my wife and I, my ex-wife now, but we used to travel a lot. We used to always like want to see new places, experience the world, like experience new cultures. And we would go out and we would do like have date nights and things like that. We, um, I started playing sports again, got into like a flag football league. We would hang out with friends and go out for drinks. And I just stopped doing all of that stuff because I, I associated that with like discipline. I was like, I have to drown out like everything else in my life and just really focus and do it this time. And so we were no longer traveling. We weren't doing date nights anymore. I was telling friends, like people would reach out like, Hey, you want to go out to dinner? Be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling well. Uh, I would skip out on, on family gatherings. And then it was just like a moment where I was like sitting on the couch and I'm like, probably like eating like chicken and broccoli. And I'm like, this, this is what my life is. Like I have no, like all of my relationships are crumbling. I'm lonely. I'm not happy. I don't like how I look. I don't like how I feel. And I'm sitting here with like all the things that I say that I value. If I say I value family, if I say I value relationships, if I say I value friendships, like I'm, I'm tearing it all down just, just because I'm trying to what follow this like bullshit meal plan that I, that I bought online. Like, how does this make sense? That was kind of like my rock bottom moment where I was like, there has to be a better way. This can't be just the, like, it just can't be this way. So, um, I just started trying to educate myself at that point into like, what's actually going I'm a pretty smart person, you know, like graduated college. I did all the things. I feel like I'm, I'm intelligent. So it was like, let me just figure out what's actually happening in my body. Like what happens? What does nutritional science say? What is the human metabolism? What are all these things? And it was really when I poured myself into education, I was like, oh, okay, now I see the disconnect. Like I've been putting my body through the ringer. I've been eating way less than, than my body requires and it's triggering hunger and it's slowing down my metabolism and it's making weight regain so, so easy to happen. And like, that was the light bulb moment that really shifted things for me. But unfortunately it came from kind of that rock bottom <laughs> situation. Yeah. Well, I think that's where, you know, the best people are made from, honestly, that, that are in this space. They all have that backstory that thank you for sharing that. I had very vulnerable moments there for you, for sure. So with that, a lot to unpack there. And I want to like pin some of the things that you mentioned because I want to circle back to it. But first, Swan, that I want to, I want you to have elaborate with your experience. 
is those psychological barriers that I know a lot of people do face when they're trying to lose weight. Like you mentioned more of like the identity shift or you mentioned more of like saying no to like your friends and your family and like having to like block everything out of what you value. And like, you know, am I surrounding myself with the right people that people like go through down that, that rabbit hole in their mind, or they don't feel like they're surrounded by other people or, you know, what are, what are in your experience and also with you coaching clients or some of those psychological barriers that people face when they're on this journey and then how can they overcome them? Yeah. I think the biggest one is like I mentioned, it's thinking that it's your fault that, you know, it's, it's always taking the blame of, I, I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't disciplined enough. I didn't have enough willpower without ever considering the method without ever considering like maybe it was the diet, maybe it wasn't the right fit for you. Um, it's like people who always, you know, when, when you're in a relationship, right. And you, and you, are like dating and you're trying to find the right person. Like a lot of times we're just like, Oh, it must've been me. But like, well, there's, there's another person involved in, in your nutrition. That's kind of like another relationship, right? It's like, there's, there's another person involved or another entity involved that does have some responsibility there. So um, I think that's a big one is we always assume that it's just, it's just our fault instead of thinking like, is this actually the right fit for me? Is that, is this the right approach for me? Or maybe I've been trying to place myself into a box that I don't belong in. And that's, that's like, I looked at how other people were, were working out and how other people were eating and what other people were doing. And it was always like, okay, I need to just go fit into what this person's doing or what this person says I need to do and never considering my own individual needs, my own personality, metabolism, like lifestyle, things that I want, all of that, like my values, that all has to play a role. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself consistently starting over. And then, and then unfortunately, it kind of builds this expectation of failure. So like, because you've gone through it so many times, the next time you're subconsciously like, okay, here we go again. I know how this plays out. And you might sabotage yourself before you even get started. So unfortunately, that's, that's something like somebody can find the right path and like work with a coach who has a truly personalized approach and they'll work with a coach who knows what they're doing who can give them the best laid plan, but because they've been burned so many times in the past, there's this subconscious, I'm going to fail anyway. So I'm just going to sabotage before it happens and not even listen and not even follow through because I know how this plays out. Um, unfortunately, like there's no easy answer for how to break out of that other than you got to ask yourself difficult questions and challenge your existing thoughts and beliefs. Like the two things that I always say that changed, changed my life and, and changed a lot of our clients' lives. If you can recognize that not every thought that you have is is fact, and, and we have thousands of thoughts a day, so it would be ridiculous to assume that they are, but we do that. We, we just have a thought. And we're like, oh, it must be true because I thought it. Most of our thoughts are not based in truth. They're not based in fact. So that's number one. And number two is that your emotions don't need to be immediately acted upon. If you can learn those two things, my thoughts are not true always. My thoughts are not always fact. And when I have an emotion, it's okay to just sit with the emotion and not do anything about it right away. Let me just sit there and like chill with it for a second and process it and then decide how I want to respond. It puts you in the driver's seat. And, and that's really where you can start to see those massive shifts happening in, you know, identity and your, your belief system and um, how you handle adversity, how you handle failure, how you handle setbacks. It, it completely changes everything. Damn. That is such a powerful, just like, dude, like, uh, rewind how that was like with the last, like, 
five minutes, maybe like three minutes. That was such a good response that I love that. I want to dive a little bit deeper in the thoughts, emotions, like that type of concept. And especially when you dropped the word failure, I was like, that was going to be my next thing that I wanted to ask you, like how with those concepts, thoughts, emotions, like um, trying things and then then said, then they feel like they fail because they don't follow through or they're setting up for failure beforehand themselves for, for, for failure beforehand. How you mentioned those, like, how do you approach like a one-on-one client that has these thoughts, that has these emotions that are freaking out because like, you know, they're not where they want to be or like they're already self-sabotaging beforehand. Like how do you approach that concept with them one-on-one? Hey, hey, just want to drop a huge appreciation to you guys listening to the show. It means a lot. I hope you guys are enjoying it and there's so much more to come with it. If you are enjoying it, hit the subscribe button. I'd appreciate that tons. And also it would help this podcast reach others who need to hear these messages too. Yeah. So it's asking them the uncomfortable questions that they don't want to ask themselves. So this is something that I learned when I went through therapy. And I I think therapy is really valuable for most people. And there's for some reason, a stigma around it that we need to get rid of. Like you don't have to be broken to, to go to therapy. And, and it's one of the most useful tools that you'll learn um, to, to be able to just process things like this. But we have this, this tendency as humans where the minute that we have the uncomfortable thought, it hits this wall and we like shut it down. We're like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to go there. So we shut it down. It's like the minute that we think about, you know, failure or we think about not being good enough, or we think about a relationship ending, or we think about getting fired from a job or anything that we like the minute that that uncomfortable thought comes up, we shut it down. Like, nope, don't go there. I'm going to push the beach ball underwater. And the more you try to hold that beach ball underwater, the more that it's going to explode up with more force. That is such that's, a good analogy. <laughs> and that's what we do, right? And because we're afraid to go past the wall, but that the, everything that you're searching for is past that wall. Everything that you're searching for is just being able to go beyond that thread of, well, what does that mean? Like, okay, let's say you do fail. Let's say that you do self-sabotage. What does that actually mean? What does that say about you? Because there's a story attached to that. Like, if we just strip away all of the, the emotion and context around it, like, factually speaking, it's like, a human ate food and then, and then like, that's like the fact, or like we interpret it as I failed because I ate foods that were off limits. Okay. Well, tell me why you think those foods are off limits. Oh, well, because I was told by somebody else that they were okay. Well, tell me like, is that serving you? Is that a belief that you want to continue? Has that helped you on your journey? Has that hurt you? Like keep asking the difficult questions or there's, there's some kind of belief that's like, if I fail, uh, you know, when I was younger, that meant that I got punished or when I got a bad grade, like my parents yelled at me and I don't, you know, so now all of a sudden there's like a connection to something else. It's not about the thing that you did. It's about the, you know, what you attach that to from, from childhood or, or from your upbringing or some, there's some connection there, but we're so f- afraid to go past that uncomfortable thought or that uncomfortable feeling that we just shut it down and we push the beach ball underwater. So what we do with our clients is we just ask those uncomfortable questions because then we get we get to the core of the issue. And usually they come to their own conclusion of like, it's actually not that bad. Like when you when you think about like a relationship ending, sometimes people are like, Well, I don't I don't want that to happen. Like, okay, well, let's say it does happen. What are you gonna do? Well, I'll be sad. Yeah. Are you gonna grieve the relationship? Yes. Okay. And then what? Well, I don't know. Then I'll like 
go and try to find somebody else. Great. Do you think that there's anybody else out there in the world that may be a good fit for you? Yeah, probably. Okay. So is it really that like once you go past that uncomfortable thing, it's actually not that bad. The worst case scenario is usually not that bad. Um, so what I find is like, we'll sometimes come up with just as like a funny exercise. We'll come up with that. Like worst case scenario. I do this all the time. It's like, I was so afraid of my business, afraid of my business failing. And I was like, my therapist was like, what happens if that happened? I'm like, I don't know, nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's, what's your backup plan? I was like, I don't know. I could, I could go back to bartending. I could go like, I used to coach tennis. I'm playing a lot of tennis. Now I could do that again. I could go. She's like, cool. Now we have our backup plan. The worst case scenario is you either go back to bartending, you go back to coaching tennis and you're totally fine. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's actually not that big of a deal. So we'll do that with our clients. We're just like, let's just come up with the worst case scenario as, Hey, this didn't work. Great. Let's try something else. And we're still in the same spot. We're, we're no worse, no better. It's actually not that big of a deal. So my long-winded answer is we ask difficult questions that people are afraid to ask themselves. Man, I love that. I love that so much. It's so good, so strong. And then, okay, so once you get there with the client, right, that's like a huge step. Like, that's like not, not a lot of people can break down that wall, nor like can the client usually accept it at a, at a quick rate that you guys can then focus on the next step, which I feel like, okay, the next step, once this is understood and the client can, uh, can get there with you at that level, the next step I would say is like behavior change, yep. right? So am I right there? Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's how do you want to respond? Like, let's say the situation happens again in your ideal scenario. How do you respond? Because you're, you're trying to become somebody you're trying to become this next version of yourself. How does that person respond in those situations? And now we have kind of that like guiding light. It's like, okay, now we know like the person that you want to become responds like this. So the next time, this feeling comes up. We're not going to immediately react to it because we know we got to sit with the emotion. We're not going to immediately respond to a negative emotion. We're going to let it sit for a second. Be like, okay, what is this telling me? Got it. What do I want to tell it? And now how do I want to respond? And now it puts you in control to be like, oh, now I remember the person that I want to become does this instead. Now, is it always going to be perfect? Of course not. You're going to have those moments where you just immediately react to the emotion, but you're going to remember it. You're going to be like, oh shit. I, I was reactive there. It's okay. I recognize it. Now I have even more awareness. And the next time I'm going to be more prepared. I'm going to take that pause. I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to come back. I'm going to sit with it. And then I'm going to decide how I want to respond based off of the person that I want to become and how that person responds in these situations. And that's, that's where the behavior change happens. The more frequently you do that, um, it's just like anything reps over time that creates the habit that creates the identity shift that creates the change that you want. This is so damn good. Okay. So though, for clients that are listening or people that are listening, how long would you think that this takes a client to go through on, a <clears throat> on yeah, average? Totally dependent on the person. Like I've, we've had people who like, they're like, I've, I've never processed things like this and this is totally <laughs> crazy. And like, it makes so much sense and they just take it and they run with it. And they're like, I actually have permission. That's all they needed was just permission to be human. Like, mm. hey, we're just going to give you permission to fail and use that as feedback and as a learning opportunity. And Hey, you know what? It's okay. Like, this is how you've responded in the past. Like that doesn't have to be your reality. So we've had people who like, they grasp the concept and they run with it. Others, sometimes it takes, you know, people hate when I say this, but like, sometimes it takes six months, 12 months longer. Like it really depends on, on how deeply ingrained these behavior patterns are um, and just kind of slowly chiseling away at it. But it's like, 
small incremental progress over time. So it's really dependent on the person. Some people can, can take it and run with it. Some people we got to have that like slow methodical progress and uh, it just, you know, it could take a year or longer in some cases. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, like I had mentioned to you beforehand, before we hopped on this recording, like, and now just listening to you even more and your thoughts, your articulation of the words, the breakdown of all of this, which is a, th- a hard thing for, you know, normal, like for people to grasp at a deep level of what you're explaining it at. I didn't realize how much like our messages and our like standpoint on fitness and nutrition align. And it's so cool to talk to somebody else that's just so, so like-minded in this sense. And once like, you know, I always say that like the tip of the iceberg of what people go after, right. In the nutrition space and fitness space, it's like, yeah, macros, workouts, like cool, like the tactical things that people can get the results with. However, if you want to go further and have more of a sustainable, realistic, you know, happy and joy, joyful, like journey, you got to address the bottom of the iceberg, which is like these thoughts, these like allowing yourself to process why you have this thought process around food, because maybe it was a way you were brought up because your mom was on a diet and you saw your mom dieting and like, you didn't have the ability to process it until now that you're being asked these questions of where is this even coming from? Thank you. I have to say, because like, this is such a good fucking topic right now that you're diving in on and that we're talking about. Um, Cause I always joke too. I'm like, you know, fitness coaches, we have the name fitness coaches, but like, what do you think? Like at some level, we also are a therapist, a life coach, like all of these things. You agree? I do. Like the mindset stuff is, is what makes it sustainable. Yeah. Because you get, again, the tactics, like anybody can follow something for a short period of time. But if you don't have like that core identity shift and like, this is who I am now, like I am somebody who, who eats quality food. I am somebody who moves my body. I am somebody who wants to be strong. And like that becomes who you are. If it doesn't, if you don't make that shift, then, then the tactics and the, the methods will, they'll be fleeting, you know, it'll be short lived. And, you know, I've, we've had, I've had a client, um, one in particular that comes to mind when I first got started, it was like when I really started diving into like, the psychology of it and like cognitive behavioral therapy and all these things. And uh, she had this connection with like certain comfort foods that she could not stop overindulging. And like, when we got to the core of it, she was like, grew up in a very hectic upbringing and there was no stability and there was no, like, you know, there was no pillar in her life that was like, I I know that this person's going to be there for me. Um, Everything was like constantly on the move you know, people that would abandon her, like a lot of trauma. And the, the food was, was the comfort, like the food was the predictability. Like, I know like this thing is always here for me. And so for her, it was, it provided stability. So we actually had to break down, like what else in your life can you use for stability and comfort outside of food? And it was then being able to replace that with, oh, there's, there's actually a lot of things now as an adult that I can use as kind of pillars in my life where I don't have to just lean on, you know, comfort food for this, this certainty or this predictability or this stability that I'm searching for. I can find it in other places. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard psychologists talk about this all the time and I have a, a really good friend of mine who's a therapist and, um, and actually my oldest sister is a therapist. And like, when you, when you find the connection to something, like he had a client who's an alcoholic and it was like, 
because that was the connection that he, like his dad passed away at a young age and he made this connection that like alcohol was the thing that bonded him and his dad. So once they found that connection, it was like, is there anything else that connects you to your dad? And once they started to replace that with something more productive, then all of a sudden, like he no longer felt the need to drink. So it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of psychology principles that go in. I don't ever, I always am very clear about scope of practice. Like I'll tell a client if I think you need to actually go, like I'll make a recommendation. I'll say like, Hey, I think this is beyond my scope. Um, but without a doubt, there are certain principles when it comes to like identity, when it comes to mindset, when it comes to belief systems and, and all of that, that we absolutely as coaches, um, should have the skill set to, at least be that support while they're getting help from a, you know, a licensed professional. Yes. hundred uh, percent. Okay. I want to circle back a little bit where you with back to behavioral and then, uh, then we'll pivot, but this is just so good that I want to close the loop here on this concept. Can you explain like clearly, like once you get, you have this conversation, worst case scenario, you're questioning your client, you're helping them get past like these thoughts, these emotions and like processing them. And then you get to the point of like, okay, now behavioral change. Now, like you person you want to become, you got to start acting like that person and, and get in alignment with that person and, and start showing up like that person. But the client has to do the work, you know, like you're the coach, the client's got to the self-efficiency, right? So can you explain how the concept of self-efficiency plays a role in the success of a, that behavioral change? Like, I feel like that's like the next final, like, I feel like it's like a three-tier thing that we're coming yeah. up here with right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that the next one is like, that person has, has to do it. So yeah. can you elaborate there? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we do. Uh, number one is is we identi identify the gap between um, the things that they're doing now versus the things that the like ideal version of themselves would do. So, uh, and a lot of people are afraid. It's like tracking macros. Like when you, when you can clearly see this is how I've been eating versus this is what I should be eating. Now you have the roadmap to close the gap. Like, Oh, I've been eating 50 grams of protein a day. My body actually should be getting 150. Like I'm not going to just rip the bandaid off and go from 50 to 150, but I see the roadmap to getting there and closing the gap. So we do that with, with behavior, like the ideal version of you, how do they handle these situations? What are the actions and habits and rituals and things like let's identify what that person does and then let's identify what you do now. And now we have a gap to, to fill and we have a roadmap, but we don't just start like, all right, there's 10 things that need to be changed. Let's just fix them all at once. We let the client decide like what, what in this, you know, this gap that we've identified, like what's the easiest one right now? Like the one that you look at and you're like, I know I could do that every single day. Uh, and we actually have them do like a commitment card. So we'll do like make a commitment card to yourself, something nutrition related, something movement related and something mindset related. And we're just going to start with like the minimum effective dose that you know that it's not like there, there's this sweet spot where it's not too difficult that it's going to frustrate them and it's not too easy that it's going to bore them, but it's kind of that Goldilocks zone. And we're going to make those three commitments and you're going to write it down on a commitment card and you're going to follow through. Uh, and we're just going to build that self-trust that when you say you do something, you're going to follow through. Uh, and it's just creating that feedback loop. Like, Oh, I made a commitment. I did it. And we're actually going to um, acknowledge because now we get into like actual habit and behavior change. We need to close the loop with a dopamine hit, just kind of how our, our brains work. So there's like a trigger, there's a behavior and there's a reward. And the reward is, is usually our dopamine system in the brain. So we actually have to identify and, and celebrate when we do something. And I'm not talking about like you throw yourself a party, like 
Hey, just as simple as like, I checked off this thing on my commitment card today. I did it. Task completed. Like that closes the loop. You get a little dopamine hit. Your brain feels happy and, and you're like, there we go. I did it. And the more that you do that, it just creates, uh, you're, you're just basically making deposits into your self-trust bank account. And now all of a sudden we can go from these three small commitments to larger commitments to more commitments. And now you've kind of like, we talked about that, uh, that failure feedback loop where it's like, I'm going to sabotage because I'm going to fail out anyway. Well, now it's a success feedback loop. I say, I'm going to do something and I've done it for the past, however many months. Now I can tackle the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, but yeah, ultimately it has to be autonomous. Like we ask the client to identify the things that they want to instill. It's not, it's not what we want for them. It's what they want for themselves. So there really has to be that level of agency and autonomy over like, I want this for myself. So I'm going to work on it because it's important to me. Yeah. It helps to have a coach reminding you of like why this is important. Like, Hey, remember when you said this was about like being a better mom and showing up for your family? Like, let's just keep that in mind. But ultimately the work is up to them to follow through. Yeah, totally. Love that. You just quoted a bunch of like habit books there. So what are your favorite habit books that somebody could go and listen to right now or buy? Uh, Atomic Habits is a, is a classic by James Clear. And then um, Tiny Habits by, um, is it BJ Fogg, I think? Um, that's another Tiny really good one. Tiny Habits. Cool. I'm even quoting that one. I, I have Atomic Habits back there. I think I've read and listened to that, I don't know, like 10 or 15, 20 times. Such a good book. And I heard you like talking about the feedback loop and all of that. And like also for every action that you take, it's a vote towards your future self. So I love that. Good stuff. All right, let's pivot. Macros. <laughs> okay. You mentioned the word there. Your podcast is mine over macros. We're all in the macro hour. Why why do you love macros? Why macros? Like just touch a little bit on that. Yeah. So I'm a big believer that awareness precedes change. And if you want to change something, you should first take inventory of like where things currently are. And like macros have such a, a weird reputation. Uh, because a lot of times people will say it's it's disordered or it's stressful. It's it's none of those things. It's like nobody looks at a a tool or or something and is like it's just like a you know it's just a th- it doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have emotions. It's it's just a thing that we can use uh, to help ourselves. So I think sometimes we have to uh, be careful about how we communicate certain things because we start to create a false narrative based off of the way that we perceive something, but it's, it's literally awareness. It's like, if I wanted to, you know, save more money and I started taking inventory of where I was spending, where, how much money I'm making. And I started to look at my budget, like nobody would ever call that disordered, but it's just awareness. Like I need awareness to make a change. If I have a goal and I want to have more money in my bank account, I should probably know where I'm spending and how much I'm making. Like if I, if I want to change my body, if I want, if I have goals, if I want to look a certain way, if I want to feel a certain way, perform a certain way, we're talking about food. Like that's what we're measuring. And like, yes, there's, there's other things involved, like, like strength training and movement and stress management and sleep, but all of it, all of it can be measured. All of it can start from a place of awareness. Oh, you're only sleeping four hours per night. Okay, great. Well, now we have a starting point and let's try for five hours. Then let's try for six. Like it's the same concept. And so I, any, any process of change, it has to start from a place of awareness and macros uh, up until this point are the most effective way to be aware of what you're currently consuming and then seeing where the gap exists between where you are and where you need to be. 
Yeah, so good. So good. I love that little plug up until this point. Yeah, makes the most sense. Scientifically, makes the most sense. Um, God, this is so good. This whole conversation is so good. Um, so, so with that being said, awareness, right? But so many people feel so daunted by the process of macros. So what? how can you speak to those to make them feel a little bit more comfortable and confident that the process is worth it? Yeah. So let's pull from all the past experiences in your life. And like you've probably lived a pretty full life up until this point, regardless of how old you are. We've worked with clients from 18 to 74, I think. So like, doesn't matter. You've got life experience under your belt. Think about what you, what happened the first time you started a new job. You probably weren't the most proficient. You probably didn't know the ins and outs of the office dynamic and how the software worked and how, you know, the company likes to do things. So there was a learning curve. The first time, maybe you, you learned a language and you were probably pretty bad at it first and you kept practicing, you kept practicing, and then you became fluent. First time you tried to play an instrument, you probably didn't know what you were doing. The first time you stepped foot in a gym, like we have life experience to pull from. This is no different. Uh, we learn the same way, even back to a time that you don't remember when you tried to learn how to walk and you kept getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down. And you didn't think, you know what? Walking just isn't for me. You just <laughs> kept going. Like, we got to get back to our little toddler roots and understand that it's just like everything else that we do in life, there will be a learning curve and then it becomes like walking. You don't have to think about it. It's mindless. Like I can tell you, it takes me zero mental energy to track my macros because now it's just like walking. So except in the beginning that it's going to be uncomfortable, that there is a learning curve that just like everything else, we have to continue to practice. And then we find little shortcuts. We find our groove. We find things that work for us, things that don't work for us. We, you know, you know, strip things away. We add it like, it's just a process, just like everything else. Um, so what I would say is embrace that because that's how we do everything as humans and just pull from past experience in your life to know that this is no different than, than the first time you started a new job. Mic drop. <laughs> Everybody go rewind, listen to that part. Cause you'll definitely feel more comfortable and confident with understanding the process of tracking macros that you too will stumble, fail, fall off your bike, all that stuff. I love that the analogies you use there. I love the one with like the training wheels and then you take them off and you're still going to hit bumps in the road and you may fall off and then you have the full on just riding the bike and then it gets easier and easier and easier. Love that. So yesterday, because I was on your podcast yesterday, um, and thanks for having me on there again, by the way. You mentioned very subtly that you're in like the phase of like flexibility, like your stage of flexibility. So can you discuss the importance of that stage for yourself and especially in a dieting aspect or, or when someone's on a journey and how like being too rigid can actually like just completely hinder, hinder progress? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, flexibility is where um, I currently am not tracking macros, but I have, because I've done it for so long, uh, it is like, I have a lot of awareness around how much I'm eating. I don't have to like question, am I getting enough protein? Am I eating enough? That sort of thing. Cause I've been doing it for so long. Um, but it's nice to just be able to eat a little bit more freely. Um, you know, when I'm in a, in kind of this uh, season of flexibility, it's like, um, you know, probably eating out a little bit more than I normally would. I mean, it's not a lot, but like, you know, maybe two times a week versus if I'm like actively dieting, it's probably one or zero. Uh, you know, I can go out with my friends for a couple of drinks and not feel any type of way about it. Like, I just know what that looks like where I can maintain 
a certain level of leanness that I, that I hold myself to that stand. This is just personal preference. I always say like your goals have to be your goals. Like nobody said you have to walk around shredded and like, it's, it's very difficult to do. And I learned that the hard way because, you know, getting to a certain level of leanness, you're like, Oh, this is just going to be easy to maintain, but you got to find that what I call lifestyle level of leanness that, that makes sense for you based off of how you want to look, how you want to feel and what that level of flexibility looks like. So I am somebody like, I love food. I love to try restaurants. I love to try different, you know, foods and, and go out. And, um, you know, I know that like, it's a lot of people kind of frown upon like a, a nutrition coach drinking alcohol, but I actually enjoy alcohol. I w- would say like probably at this point, it's like maybe once every other week. But when I, you know, have like two or three drinks, if I go out and, and have drinks out to dinner, whatever, but I enjoy the process of being able to still work out like three days a week, play tennis a couple times a week, not track my food and maintain a certain level of leanness. And that feels good for me. Now, am I like, you know, at that place where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like super fit and, and, and like confident. Like I know that I could be leaner. I've been a lot leaner before, but this is what I call like the lifestyle level of leanness where I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I have a high degree of flexibility. And if I ever want to turn it on, I know how to turn it on. Facts. I love that. That's so real, raw and honest. You know, that is the sustainable aspect of a lifestyle with still being healthy and, you know, working out like you're it's I think it's important to uh, to highlight that because I'm in the same boat. Right. Like I think living flexibly and being able to intuitively eat because the awareness part is already there. And I'm not going to, you know, you experience but saying no and like, you know, living in like that rigid lifestyle, which should actually hurt your progress in terms of like the values you live up to and for yourself and what you expect with the family and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, so highlighting like that and then highlighting the alcohol side of things, you know, it's like some people enjoy that and that's okay. You know, to your goal is your goal and whatever your goal is. Um, but you also said like once every other like week or something like that with only like two or three drinks, you know, to somebody else alcohol could be completely different where they're having wine every single freaking night and they're wondering why they're not seeing the results that they want. So yeah, I love that. And it's also just, you know, you are you and this is how you live your life. I think about Jordan Syatt when I, when like speaking to this, like he's not ripped and in shape, but he can speak of the high nines about fitness and nutrition, call people out and be honest about it. So I love that because it's like, everybody has their own picture of their sustainable approach to fitness. Yeah. One thing that I think is really important to add context, there are certain things that I've built up as a foundation that are literally second nature so much so that I didn't even think about them when you asked the question, because it's just part of my life now. Like I don't ever have to question, am am I getting in enough protein? Like that's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's just a daily habit for me that I'm always eating protein. Like I don't, it doesn't take up any of my like mental energy. Um, getting 10,000 steps a day. I walk a lot. I always look for opportunities to walk and move my body. So like, that's another one that it's every, every single day. Like if, if I'm under, I don't, I don't look at it. I don't care. I just know that getting a lot of steps and movement is a foundational habit. Prioritizing my sleep, like do not fuck with my sleep routine. Like it's, it is always in place. Like I need to be in bed at a certain time. I know when I'm waking up every morning, like I do not mess around with my sleep. There's certain things like drinking enough water. I'm, I'm always, I've got my water right here. It's like, it's just part of my life now so much so I literally don't have to think about it. 
but that was years of, of just doing it over and over and over. So when I say flexibility, it's with the understanding that there is a strong base level of, of foundational habits that have been in place for a really long time. So if I skip a week at the gym, not a big deal. If I, you know, overindulge over a weekend because, you know, I'm, I'm having some fun and I want, you know, to eat freely and drink a little bit more than I normally do. It's not a big deal because I always have these habits in place. A fucking men, man. Amen. I'm so happy you circled back to that because, yeah, that's so true. So many strong foundational habits that you've built over through the years that like they're like almost like you're non-negotiables in a sense. You have to make sure you hit those on a daily basis for for you, especially the sleep. I am the same way. I'm like, yo, I need like nine hours of sleep a night, and need nobody be fucking with me with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. Cool. Well, let's talk about now the your. So I would love to hear your favorite misconception with like fitness and nutrition and what's going on in the industry and like what's your favorite one and can you debunk it for us? <laughs> yeah, there's so many to choose from. Uh, I would say the biggest one is just about like um, the things like the sacrifices that you, and, and it's tough because we humans love to to swing on either end of the extreme and we we're so uncomfortable in the middle. We're so uncomfortable in the gray. We love for things to be black and white. So I think on the one end you have people who are like, you have to cut carbs and cut sugar and seed oils are going to kill you. And there's all this like fear mongering about the things that you have to sacrifice. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that are like, you can literally eat whatever you want and still look exactly how you want. You can get shredded and whatever and eat. What and the answer is in the middle. And I, and I find both messages to be harmful to a certain extent. Like no carbs are not going to kill you. No, like seed oils are not going to kill you. Like certain, there are certain foods that are more, nutritionally dense than others. But if you are consuming mostly whole quality food sources, like it's totally fine to have some processed foods in there, like 80, 20 rule, 80% quality, 20% flexible. Um, and then the message of like, you can eat whatever you want and still look the way you want is I think the intent behind that is you can incorporate foods that you want and still look the way that we want. Not you can eat whatever you want because people are like, I don't understand to your point. Like I'm drinking wine every day, but like, you know, you know, Tommy tough nuts on the internet said I could drink wine and still get shredded. Like whatever. Oh, it's like there, the, the answer is in the middle. You have to make sacrifices. You don't have to be miserable. There are certain things that you will probably have to cut back on, but you don't have to eliminate carbs, don't have to eliminate alcohol, you don't have to eliminate sugar or oils or whatever somebody is trying to scare you into getting rid of. It's just not the case. Um, so there's that one. And then there's like the, the cardio myth of like cardio is the best way to, to lose fat and burn calories. Wait, talk a little bit more on that. I need to hear this answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it falls short in just about like every scientific way possible. Um, so first of all, you're not burning that many calories during cardio. Uh, as many calories as you probably think you're burning, it's probably a lot less. And then as you do more cardio, your body gets more efficient at doing cardio, which means that however many calories, let's just say running a mile, let's say you have never run a mile, you run a mile, it's probably going to take a lot of mental energy and physical energy, you'll burn some calories. But then you keep running the mile and your brain and your body get really in sync and more efficient and your your muscles are firing more efficiently. And all of a sudden, the amount of calories that it took to run that mile is less and less and less. But you're also prioritizing a manual burn of calories versus prioritizing your metabolism and your muscle. So 
if you're not using your muscles by like lifting heavy shit, uh, your body has no reason to keep it around because it's an expensive tissue to maintain. So it takes a lot of calories to maintain muscle on your body. So if you're not using it, your body's like, hey, we should probably just break this down and use it for energy because we're not going to use them. So why do we need these muscles? And that's what cardio can send that signal where you end up with a slower metabolism with a worse physique and you are actually not burning as many calories as you think you are doing cardio. Let's go. Are you in my brain? I literally just did a podcast on that exact kind of breakdown like a couple podcasts ago and you just articulated that so fucking well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I love that. You're training, you're either training your body to optimize for cardiovascular endurance or you're going to optimize your body for strength endurance. And I'm sure goal-wise, whatever your goal is, it is your goal. If you want to be a, a marathon runner, optimize your body for cardiovascular health and running tons and tons of miles. But if you want muscle, which is I think majority of our demographic, right? That listens to us, that follows us, they want to build more muscle, they want to have a stronger metabolism, then it's like weight training, doing that, the active tissue that never stops, like that needs fuel, that needs energy, that's the side of things. So you wanna optimize your body for that. Yep, completely, yeah. Do, do cardio because you love to do cardio, or if you wanna just maintain like a certain level of cardiovascular health, um, you know, it, like a lot of people push back. They're like, but, I love swimming. I'm like, great. You should swim a lot as much as you want. It's just, that doesn't change the facts. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that like strength training is better for your metabolism, for, you know, bone health, for heart health. Like, there's so many health benefits to it. Um, do cardio because you love cardio and because you want to improve cardiovascular health. But if your goal is body composition, if you want to look the part, if you want to improve your metabolism, you want to get leaner, toned, more athletic, um, Strength training should be the primary focus and then do whatever you want in terms of enjoyment. Amen. I just started running yesterday. I ran 2.6 miles yesterday for the first time in probably uh, years. That sounds terrible. Just, what? <laughs> so that sounds terrible. It's <laughs> <laughs> for my cardiovascular health though, because I think that's hard to muscle, but like you won't find me trying to run like half marathons or marathons or like even like six miles or that's, that's pushing it. Yeah. But the fact that you can just go out and run 2.6 miles after not doing it, that, that shows where you have that base level of endurance and health from strength training and maintaining a certain level of fitness. And like, that's how I feel like everybody should be able to, you know, for like, for life, we should be able to like pull ourselves up or get ourselves like physically out of a, a tough situation where, because we've been training our muscles and we should be, everybody should be able to just like run out, walk outside and, and go run a mile with, you know, without really struggling that much. And that's where, you know, you've kind of found that good balance. And obviously it'll take people different lengths of time to get there, but it's a worthy pursuit when it comes to just overall health. Amen. Yeah. Love that with ease. You should be able to do that with ease. Yeah. It was no problem. I jumped on the treadmill in the morning and ran two point six 2.6 in 27 minutes. And i didn't like stop to try and take a break or like, you know, put your feet on the side of the treadmill. Like it, I just did it. And I hadn't done that in like, I don't know, two years, a year and a half. So yeah, I love it for the, for ease. Um, good stuff. Good freaking stuff. Okay. But one last question that I got for you. If there was one piece of advice for somebody just starting their fitness journey and starting out on like their weight loss journey, what is that piece of advice that you would give them, especially towards the people that maybe have struggled in the past, have tried and struggled in the past? If they're trying to start again, what would be that one piece of advice that you would want to give them? Get rid of the timeline. Um, stop, stop treating this like there's a finish line. 
stop looking at the fastest path to whatever result, like buckle up and do this shit for life. And if you just have that frame of reference, can I do this forever? And do I want to do this forever? Like that is going to answer most of your questions. Oh, do I really have to fast until 2 p.m.? Do you want to do that forever? No? Okay, then you don't have to do it. Like it doesn't make sense, right? Do this shit for life. And if you just get rid of that finish line, get rid of the timeline, and you truly treat this as a forever pursuit, like it's an infinite game. The, the whole point of fitness is to just keep playing the game. There's like certain things in life that you win the game by just playing. There's no defined rules. There's no end game. You don't win. There's no final score. You literally are just playing to keep playing. So just keep doing it. Like you'll find you're going to fail. You're going to find things that don't work. That's great. That's information. That's feedback okay, this doesn't work for me. Let me try this over here. But if the only way that you lose is if you quit, and the only reason you quit is because your expectations are on a certain timeline that doesn't exist. There is no finish line. It's not, it's never over. So like, you don't have to stress. It's fine. Like, oh, this month didn't go so well. Great. We've got plenty more months to, to get our shit together and improve. So use that as feedback. What can I improve upon? Like, what are the daily habits that I want to try this month? Am I going to do this forever? Like, yeah, let's take that mindset. And if you can truly make that mental reframe, this whole process becomes way more enjoyable, way less stressful, and, and your success is inevitable. Love that, Mike. Man, such good stuff in this podcast. Thank you so much for your, your time, your energy, your explanations, the breakdown of things that three step, right? Once you understand this, okay, then the next thing is behavior change. And the next thing is you got to do the work. And then why macros are bomb, like so many golden nuggets within this podcast. Thank you so much where I like I could continue to talk to you on and on about all of these things. And I'm sure people want to continue to listen to you. So where can they find you? Let them know. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so my podcast is called Mind Over Macros. And that's on any podcast platform. If you just search Mind Over Macros, you'll find me. And um, I, you know, talk about this stuff, a lot of, uh, a lot of like self-development mindset, but also nutrition, fitness, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, forewarning, if you are like easily offended and you don't like real, like direct blunt conversations, then you probably won't like the show. Uh, but if that's your jam, then uh, give it a listen. And then Instagram, my handle is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, two L's in Milner. And uh, those are all the places you can find me. Amazing. Well, these guys definitely love direct, no bullshit, like approach. So they'll definitely enjoy your podcast. Definitely check it out, you guys. And all the links will be in the description below. Mike, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Real quick, the only ask I could ever have of you guys is to help spread the word so we can help more women lose body fat, build muscle, reach their goals, and feel insanely confident. And the only way we can do that is if you rate, review, and share this podcast. So the single thing I ask for you to do is if you could leave a review, it will take you 10 seconds and it will mean the absolute world to me and may change the world of someone else.